I'm on the clock now. How's that? <laughs> Give me 30, 40 minutes or so. We may not get done. I may just have to quit, okay? But we'll, uh, we'll hit what we can hit. We're not going to have the scriptures reading. I, I have many more scriptures, as you can see on the outline, that I, norm, that I normally use. And we're going to um, hit it and go pretty, pretty quickly. <clears throat> but today I'm preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. The word Ecclesiastes simply means the preacher. And in this case, Solomon is the preacher, King Solomon. You will remember that as he came to the throne following his father David, that the Lord gave him a wonderful opportunity. He said, ask what you will, and it shall be given unto you. Solomon, the Bible tells us, asked for an understanding heart, a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom that he might have a heart to lead God's people. And boy, is that ever needed today, wisdom. God granted his request to the point that Solomon is known as the wisest man who has ever lived. But you know something we fail to realize sometimes, and that is that the Lord offers us the same. <clears throat> he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask. So I'm just a believer enough that if the Lord asked Solomon what he wanted, and Solomon said wisdom, and the Lord asked us, uh, if you lack wisdom, ask, and it will be given to you, that we should do that. However, to have been so wise, Solomon certainly did some dumb things. How about having 700 wives and 300 concubines? That doesn't sound too wise to me. Most of us guys who have one wife consider ourselves to have our hands full without 700. <laughs> have you ever been shocked at what folks do? You know they know better. But yet they do some dumb, outright, stupid thing. And many times it costs them dearly. Let's take it a step further. Have you ever been shocked at what you have done? You know better, but you do it anyway, knowing that it is wrong and there will be a price to pay, especially if it transgresses God's law. Guilty. Guilty. I think all of us are guilty of doing things that we know we should not do. But it should let all of us know that if we don't guard our heart, it will run over and overtake our brain, and the consequences of that can be severe. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now let's look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There are 12 words in the second verse of Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. 12 words. 
Five of those 12 words are vanity or vanities. Solomon does what a preacher normally doesn't do. You know, a preacher normally lays a foundation, he builds on it, and then he has his ending where he really tries to drive it home. Solomon comes on the scene, and boy, he just blurps it out. Let me tell you something, folks. Vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. He pulls no punches, lays no foundation, just blurts it right out. Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 3 through 11, I'll read it very quickly. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Now he starts to lay it out. The generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow to the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which one might say? See, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, the latter things which will occur and will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. In verse 3, he talks about under the sun. That's the title of my message today, Living Under the Sun. Generations come and generations go. Boy, are we seeing that. A well-known pastor once said, who was very well-known, very well-revered, said, six months after I'm gone, you will seldom hear my name. And I've, I've watched that, and he's not far off. He's not far off. Generations come and generations go. <clears throat> the generation of preachers before me, the generation above me, I really felt that they thought that they were the final generation. They really did. I would hear them talk about being the last watchman on the wall because they thought the Lord was going to come. But a generation comes, a generation goes, and many of them are gone. But only the earth remains forever. I remember the day that my father died. It was the day of New Year's Eve, and that's a traumatic thing to happen in anyone's life. I remember I had to go to, I think it was Macy's at that time, <clears throat> maybe still Lazarus, I'm not sure. But um, I go in, and it's New Year's Eve, and boy, the store is bustling, everybody getting ready to party, and just going, I, I, folks, hold on, my world has been turned upside down today. My dad died. And the world, generations comes, you know, who notices? I had a business obligation that day that I had turned over to someone else to take care of for me by a certain time, and they did not do it by that time. I got a call from the party that I had the obligation to 
asking me what was going on. I apologized. I told them that what I had done, that I had given it to someone else to fulfill for me, and it would get done, but it was late, and I, I'm sorry that it happened. I said, besides that, I said, my, my father passed away today. You know what his answer was? What's that got to do with it? That's what he said to me. What's your dad dying got to do with this? This takes precedent over that. The generations come, generation go. For some reason, through our ministerial time, Don and I have had friends, close friends, that we have a lot of friends our age and younger, but we've also had a lot of friends that were 10 to 12 years older than what we are. And boy, when I look around and I see how many of them today are gone, it, it, it's hurtful. And now, the Grim Reaper has begun tearing his, his uh, scythe into our generation. Donna lost a sister this week, three years her junior. Generations come and generations go. I don't want to be melancholy today, but I want us to stop and think. We need to get serious about something. We're living in difficult times. Somebody said, oh, I can't wait to get back to things are normal. What if things don't return to normal? What if that does not happen? What if God is stripping us bare of all of the things that has hindered us from walking with him and being fully dedicated with him? And he's shaking the world up and he's shaking his church up. And we are anxious to get back to a life of ease and a back to a life of leisure and partying and football and entertainment and all of this and that. I like football as well as anybody else. But you know what? I'm getting along all right whether Buckeyes play or whether they don't play. That's not the main focus of my life. I got thinking about the brevity of life. In one year, I will turn 75 years old. Hard to believe. And it just hit me the other day, if I were to divide my life up in 15-year segments, and if I live to age 90, which is a good age, I, will have, already, I have lived that many 15-year segments of life, and I've got that many more to go. We need to think about these things, folks. Solomon says the sun rises, the sun sets, the wind swirls, the rivers run to the sea. All things are wearisome. Man is never satisfied living under the sun, meaningless. He even talks about the futility of wisdom. Now, I have a hard time, I'll be honest with you, sorting this one out. The futility of wisdom. He says with wisdom comes sorrow, and with knowledge comes grief. Now, my thought, how could this be? Because wisdom is good. It's good to have knowledge. We need it. We want it. But I think the deal that he was trying to get through is, but wisdom lasts only as long as we are living under the sun. And then it's gone. We die. The wisdom is no more. 
I have looked into the face of great men lying in their casket, men that I have admired, men that had so much wisdom and were so wise that I thought, boy, all of that is gone. I wish that somehow that could have been downloaded from him into me, but it can't. I think of Brian's message quite often that he preached. It's been quite some time ago now about eternity. You may remember he used an illustration where he had a very long rope that went almost all the way around the sanctuary, a white rope, and he had about this much of it painted red. And he said, folks, in light of eternity, this is the scope of our life. It's but a vapor, the Bible tells us. It's here and it's gone. Solomon tells us that pleasures and possessions are all meaningless. In chapter 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, it too is futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water to irrigate them. I had people to help me. I possessed flocks and herds larger than anybody who had ever preceded me in Jerusalem. I collected for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Nothing satisfied. Lovers of pleasure, the Bible tells us in this day, there would be people, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's been a number of years ago now, but I was invited to speak at a Wednesday night service at a church in Columbus. This was a very good church. It was a church of probably 1,000 to 1,200 people. And I was going to go there and speak on a Wednesday night. When I got there, knowing this church, I don't know if there were 25 people there on a Wednesday night. Can I bring it a little further home? I've been to specially called prayer meetings at Vineyard Christian Church. I've been to Sunday night worship services by times when special service was called. Believe me, it's not a Sunday crowd for sure. 
because we are so prone to seek after something other than God and his kingdom. Nothing that Solomon saw, discovered, attempted, produced, initiated, or concluded brought any lasting significance or personal satisfaction. He could never get enough. He said even labor disappoints. Can labor be rewarding? Of course it can. We're supposed to do that. But what you accumulate and don't use, Solomon says you've got to leave it to another. In Solomon's case, it was apparently the one who would follow him to the throne. In our case, what is it? You leave it to your kids. Isn't that wonderful? You work, save, and slave, and boom, you're out of here. And your kids get it. I, I know a lady that she got, <laughs> she got an inheritance the day she got her inheritance. She was at, back then it was Kmart, with a cart loaded to the gills. I mean, she was out there taking care of business <laughs> right off, right out of the chute. That, that's just the way, they, the way that it was. My mother passed away on Christmas Day in 2018, and we have not gone through all of her stuff yet. We tried it. She, she was sentimental. She saved such everything, cards and cards and on and on and on, and we go through it, and boy, you, you're just in a quandary. What do you do? You, you really, you know, you don't want to really hang on to it, but, but to discard it, it feels like you're dishonoring your mother. You know, it feels like her life is just down the drain, down the tubes. And, and so, you know, it, it's a problem. We've got a lot of stuff. What are we going to do with this, you know, and, and all of that? So we, we accumulate, and then we end up leaving it all behind. He also says, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10, that... <clears throat> Riches brings its own folly. I'm sorry, it's chapter 5 and verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Well, that's hard to understand, isn't it? Nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Verse 15. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Can labor be rewarding? It sure can. What you accumulate and don't use will simply be, be left here. And it's good to leave behind. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Thought I'd hear an amen, Aaron. Riches brings its own folly. Have you ever heard of ball players? 
that have been offered $20 million to play 16 games of football, and they say no. No, thank you. Sit out a season, turn down $20 million for something that they have a great talent to do, but they're not going to play 16 games for a measly $20 million. Who do you think that I am? I can hear Jeff Foxworthy right now saying, if you won't play 16 games of football for $20 million, you just might be a fool. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> but money does not satisfy. We're going to leave it all. I've never seen a hearse pull into U-Haul. As I was preparing this message, my, my grandfather came to, thoughts of my grandfather came to me so many different times, the things that he would, that he would say. Um, Pastor Newstrand, I would imagine that he's one of the most quoted men to this day of anybody that I know. Years and decades later, people still walk up to me and say, I remember your grandpa preached back in 1944. And they'll tell me what he preached, or they'll tell me what he, what he'd say, and he was he was he was just a very unique guy. When I was little, I, I didn't like to take naps, and sometimes he'd try to get me to take a nap, and and um, he would say, "I'll tell you what, let's let's you and Grandpa play a game." He'd lay down with me. He'd say, "Let's see who can get to sleep first. Who can get to sleep the fastest? The first one of us that gets to sleep." Raise your hand. I would lay there for a little while, close my eyes, <laughs> and I'd raise my hand. <laughs> We'd be riding along the car, and he'd see some big, huge water tower. Dana, how long do you think it would take you to paint that with a toothbrush? He would say things like that. He would come out and see bird droppings on his car, and he would say, aren't you glad elephants don't fly? <laughs> you understand me a little better now? <laughs> I remember, I'll just give you one more. Grandpa would see a new car, or maybe he'd bought a new car or whatever. We'd be standing around admiring it, looking at it, and he would say, you could hear him say this, it's headed for the junkyard. Nobody but him was thinking about junkyard for that new car. But you know what? He was exactly right. Every new car is ultimately, eventually, on its way to the junkyard. He was teaching a lesson, and I can't help it, but sometimes when I see a newborn baby, I think of that statement, and I think it's headed for the graveyard. It's appointed unto man once to die. 
That's the way it's going to end. Either the rapture of the church or through death. As we came into this world, so will we depart naked and with nothing. How are you living life today? Do you have an under-the-sun mentality? There are many dangers inherent in living only for this world. First of all, any pleasure, and let me tell you, there's pleasure in sin. It's not going to just be an ugly thing to any of us. There is pleasure in sin, but it is very fleeting, and it is non-lasting. The wisest man declared after seeing it all, all is vanity, which simply means all is meaningless. Nothing in this world can satisfy. If one lives only beneath the perspective of the sun, it is an endless, wearisome cycle of life. That's the reason there are so many suicides, no hope, no satisfying, no satisfying portion. A disturbed and troubled individual went to a psychiatrist to relieve his anxiety. He awoke melancholy every morning and he went to bed in the evening deeply depressed. His day was marked by darkness and clouds. He couldn't find relief for his anxiety. In his desperate condition, he decided to seek counsel from a medical doctor. The psychiatrist listened to him for almost an hour. Finally, he leaned toward his patients and said to him, you know, there's a local show at a theater in town. I understand a new Italian clown has come into our city and he's leaving them in the aisles. He's getting rave reviews from critics. Maybe he is the one that will bring back your happiness. Why don't you go see this professional clown and laugh your troubles away? With a hangdog expression, the patient muttered, Doctor, I am that clown. In this world, in this life, things are not always as they seem. Long ago, ancient authors such as Plato have suggested that affluence combined with leisure creates a laxity that leads to the kind of societal and institutional disintegration such as we are currently experiencing. Boy, I hope that we don't allow the blessings of God to turn into a curse for us. I hope that we don't allow the good things that he has benefited us with to become our all in all in our life instead of him. So where do we look for meaning? The longing for pleasure combined with the affluence to seek it out can cause one to become lax in their putting God first in their lives. You know, God and his house should not be put on the shelf just because it's summer and we want to do whatever. There are some folks that you get the, you get the feeling that about the weekend before Memorial Day, as they walk out the church, they might as well wave and say that old song, See You in September. Not the way that it should be. 
I suppose most of us struggle with an extremely strong inclination toward materialism, consumerism, and the love of this world. It seems what is tangible is far more attractive than what is intangible, which makes it difficult to develop trust and faith in God. We want it, and we want it now. And boy, do we see that in the younger generation. I'm told by realtors that as young couples go to look for a house, boy, if it doesn't fit every little detail that they want, they're out of there. Don and I have worked our fingers to the bone. Houses we've lived in to get them where we want them to be. Nobody wants to work anymore. We want it and we want it, we want it now. So what's the answer to this under the sun dilemma? Here is the answer. Living under the sun is a very horizontal view of life. The answer is to change our viewpoint from a horizontal view to a vertical view. Look above the sun, S-U-N, to the sun, S-O-N, the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who died for our sins, who is going to prepare a heavenly home that is beyond description, where there will be no sorrow, there will be no tears, there'll be no death, there'll be just joy forevermore. Nothing in this world is lo worth losing your soul over, friends. Nothing in this world is worth losing out and missing eternal life with the Lord in heaven. So where is our focus this morning? Is our focus under the sun or is our, our focus above the sun? Because we're all going to meet him one day. We're going to stand before him and give an account this is serious business, most serious of all. So many praise him with their lips on Sunday. Then from those same lips flow profanities the other six days of the week. We ought to be praising him every day. How can sweet and bitter water come out of the same fountain? Don't allow your lips that come in here on a Sunday and lift up and praise and honor the Lord. Don't let filthy words come out of your mouth the other days of the week. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Not at all. <clears throat> For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I ran across a poem that I heard when I was very young. I want to read it to you today. When the great plants of our cities have turned out their last finished work, when our merchants have sold their last yard of silk and dismissed the last tired clerk, when our banks have raked in the last dollar and paid the last dividend, when the judge of the earth says, close for the night and ask for a balance, what then? When the choir has sung its last anthem and the preacher has made his last prayer and the people have heard their last sermon and the sound has died out on the air, when the Bible lies closed on the altar and the pews are all, are all empty of men and each one stands facing his record 
and the great book is opened, what then? What then? According to a Russian legend, a peasant was to receive a deed of ownership for all of the land that he could encompass by running in one day. So when the day came, he ran and ran and got back to the starting point at the end of the day, and he was very tired. The sun was almost down, but not quite, so he thought he had a little more time to get a little more land. So he took off running again. He ran and he ran, and he got back to the starting place just as the sun dropped below the horizon, and he dropped dead. We strive to accumulate, and eventually we all drop dead. There's a New Testament account of that in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus told a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you, and now you will own what you have prepared. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It can be gone in a flash. You know, there are a lot of questions today about our economic situation. I heard John Hagee say that he went to talk to the foremost banker in San Antonio about the monetary situation that we're facing and could it, could it change, could it switch where we wouldn't even be using dollars anymore. Have you run into places where they don't give you any coin? Things are changing. Things are changing. The banker said, yes, it, it could happen very quickly. John Hagee said, how, how quickly? He said, overnight. And he said, what? Are, are you mean three or four months or no? Overnight, it could happen, it could change. In the 1960s, Peggy Lee, Peggy Lee had a hit record entitled, Is That All There Is? Some of you may remember that song. A lot of the song was narration and then singing, but it went like this. She, she spoke these words. I remember when I was a very little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms, raced through the burning building out to the pavement. I stood there shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? And when I was 12 years old, my father took me to a circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears. And a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And so I sat there watching the marvelous spectacle. I had the feeling that something was missing. 
I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a circus? Then I fell in love, head over heels in love, with the most wonderful boy in the world. We would take long walks by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes. We were so very much in love. Then one day he went away. I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is? And then she would sing the chorus to the song, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friend, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. Isn't that about the way the world feels today? Eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just keep dancing. Let's just break out the booze. And boy... Let's have a ball. As far as life under the sun goes, that is all that there is. Maybe not right away, but ultimately, because it's empty and meaningless. So said, not Dana Bird, but so said the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. I can preach this with confidence today, whether it's a popular message or not, because it's the Bible. It's the Bible, folks. We need to look at scriptures like this from time to time. This is not a message that should be preached every Sunday. No, you, you, I wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. But it's something that once in a while we need to take stock and realize this life is fleeting and ultimately is meaningless because there's coming a time when time shall be no more. Eternity looms. So let's all examine our lives today. Are we too tied up and focused in living life under the sun? Let's be honest with ourselves. and Purpose in our heart to focus more on things that really matter and are eternal. Abby, if you'd come and begin to play, please. I close with this. Many years ago, a friend of mine wrote, a, wrote this song. The words of it are this, it matters so little how much you may own. The places you've been or the people you've known. For it all comes to nothing when placed at his feet. It's nothing for Jesus, just memories to keep. You may take all the treasures from faraway land and take all the riches you can hold in your hand and take all the pleasures your money can buy. But what will you have when it's your time to die? Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do his will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life.
The days pass so swiftly, the months come and go. The years melt away like new fallen snow. Spring turns to summer and summer to fall. Autumn brings winter and death comes to all. Would you bow your head? Just let the Lord talk to us here for a moment. Open up your heart and your mind if you would. Lord, how can I do better? Help me, Jesus, to refocus from a horizontal view of living to a vertical view. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of life. You have blessed us so much. We love living, Lord. We love living under your sunshine. We love seeing the beauty of your creation. We thank you for every material blessing that you've given us. Lord, we're a blessed people. We're so undeserving, but you've blessed us beyond measure. And we thank you for it. We honor you for it, Lord. But Lord, more than anything in this hour, help us to keep it all in perspective. Help us not to become lovers of this world. Help us not to think of this world as our final home, because it isn't. We're just a passing through. Help us, Lord, more than anything, to lay up treasures beyond the blue. But someday, Lord, when we come to the end of our life journey, whether we're caught up to meet you in the air or whether the death angel comes knocking, that we will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our desire, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me today? 